Good evening and welcome. We're glad that you're here tonight. I know that we have a lot of folks that are probably home, maybe due to the weather. It is a balmy evening. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready for summertime. I've been ready for summertime. And I was thinking a minute ago, there has got to be a place where it is warm and sunny. There have got to be some people that need to hear the gospel. And if that be the case, I'm the man for the job. Tonight I want to call your attention to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 13 as we think about the theme, needs and wants. Paul, of course, is writing here to Timothy, his true son in the faith. Paul had tremendous confidence in Timothy as a young evangelist. And in chapter 4, Paul talks about his impending death. He is very upfront about the fact that death is imminent. In verse 6, he said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, or henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In the verses that follow, Paul outlines what I call some very basic needs and wants. If you were to put yourself in his position, number one, you might ask the question, what would you need? And number two, you might ask, what would you want? And I think that the Apostle Paul answers those questions for us. I want to begin by, first of all, calling attention to the fact that Paul called for certain saints. We talk about his needs and his wants. There were some very specific saints that Paul wanted. And so we talk about the people that are enumerated in this context. First of all, let me just call attention to verse 9. In verse 9, we have what I call the desired saint. And that would be Timothy. I mentioned a moment ago that Timothy was his own true son in the faith. He was a protege, so to speak, of the Apostle Paul. And Paul mentored Timothy. He encouraged him. He sought to emphasize the importance of living a faithful Christian life, of being a Christian example to others. In verses 1 and 2, and really the verses following in chapter 4, he tells Timothy to preach the word, to be instant in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And so in verse 9 he says, in light of the fact that death is imminent, be diligent to come to me quickly. I think that underscores the very close-knit relationship that these two people had together. And I think about Paul in some respects, as a father figure to Timothy. 
And then a second individual that is spoken of, Mark. John Mark. Drop down if you would and look at verse 11. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for ministry. Now if you go back and you look at Acts chapter 13, you'll find that John Mark was a part of the missionary endeavors of the Apostle Paul as well as Barnabas. And on one occasion, John Mark left the work. He went back home. Some would say maybe he got homesick. Whatever the case, he went back home. Well, over in chapter 15, when the decision was made to go back and to begin revisiting some of the works, their previous works, Barnabas wanted John Mark to go with them. Paul did not want him to come. And so the Bible says, Luke tells us, that a sharp contention arose between Paul and Barnabas. Paul ended up taking Silas and Barnabas, John Mark. But think about this. Even though there was a major disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, two very high-profile brethren, two leading men in the Lord's church in the first century, they did not allow their disagreement to drive a wedge within the body of Christ and disrupt the work. And though the Apostle Paul did not want to take John Mark at that point in time, did not mean that in the mind of Paul, Mark couldn't be useful later. And so he says, get Mark, bring him to me, for he is useful to me, note if you would, for ministry. Sometimes individuals, we talk about people being green and wet behind the ears. Maybe that was the case with John Mark. He needed, as some folks say, some seasoning. Well, obviously, he got that seasoning. And Paul now is saying, look, he's useful to me for the ministry. And then in verse 10, there is the departed, the deserted saint, if you please. He said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. If you go back and you read Philemon, verse 24, Demas is counted as a co-laborer with the apostle Paul. Now, Paul wrote Philemon along with, uh, with three other prison epistles. The time of his writing, about A.D. 61 or 62. Some six years have elapsed. And here was a man that at one time had been a faithful worker in the kingdom. And now Paul says, look, He'd gone back into the world. I'm not sure that you'll read of a sadder portrait of somebody that at one time had been a key component in the early church. The world can strangle the life out of your spirituality. That's why John said, love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are not of the Father, but are of the world. And John said, the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of the Father abides forever. So Demas deserted the Apostle Paul. In verse 10, Paul makes mention of some 
departed saints. He says in the latter part of verse 10 that Crescens has gone to Galatia, which is a part of southern Asia. Now, there are some that would say that this territory would have included Gaul, which geographically speaking would be known today as northern Italy and France. And then he says Titus has been dispatched to Dalmatia, which was located in the southern region of Ilricum. Verse 11, the devoted saint. In verse 11, Paul said, only Luke is with me. You see now why he wanted Timothy and John Mark. No doubt he had, he had reasons for wanting them. But he said, Dr. Luke is with me. And you go back and you read of the writings of Luke. Luke, of course, the biographer of the Lord, one of the writers of the gospel of Jesus, or really one of the writers of the life of Jesus. Not only did he write about the life of Christ, but he wrote about the work of the church of Christ, the establishment of the church, the infancy of the church, and the growth of the church. Luke was a trusted companion. It's interesting to me that when you Look at what Paul says in verse 11, only Luke is with me. You get the sense that there were some, as he will say down in verse 16, that had forsaken him, had not stood by him. Listen to what he says down in verse 16. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Were you in Paul's situation, faced with similar circumstances, could you identify someone or maybe more than one person that you would want with you as you faced some serious trial, predicament, or circumstance in life? There's a second thing I want to call attention to in our study. Well, let me just very quickly make mention also of a, of a saint that was dispatched by the Apostle Paul a fellow by the name of Tychicus. And he said he had sent him to Ephesus in verse 12. He is described by Paul in Colossians chapter 4 as a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. Look at the terms that are used to describe this man. He is a beloved brother. He's somebody that Paul felt a kinship with. There was a sense of love that existed between those two brothers in Christ. He viewed him as a faithful minister, a servant of the Lord. And not only that, but he was a fellow servant. Side by side, shoulder to shoulder, working together in the kingdom of God. Now in verse 13, there's a second thing that as we think about needs and wants. Let's think for a minute about something that Paul not only wanted, but he needed. And that was his shawl. Some would say a poncho, because really that's what it resembled, a poncho. Here's what he said. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas 
when you come. Now, I don't know why he left his cloak with this brother in Troas. Whatever the case may have been, such was the case. Such was the circumstance. A cloak in the first century, the cloak that Paul is talking about, would have been made out of wool or leather. And no doubt in frigid weather. Think about Paul. He's in a prison cell. And I suspect it could get pretty frigid in the wintertime. Someone said, if I'm not mistaken, that the temperatures would have dropped down into the 30s. And so Paul here is saying, look, I need that cloak. Not only do I need it, I want that cloak. What's that say to us about the needs and wants of some of the saints that we read about in scriptures? I think sometimes, and I've said this before, and we've been discussing this on Wednesday nights. I think sometimes we miss the human dimension of the people that we read about in the scriptures. And we have the idea sometimes that they were somehow beyond, beyond some of the things that we face in this life. It's not the case at all. Hardship and trial and tribulation, common to us, yes. But you need to understand, common to the Apostle Paul, common to other saints in the first century. Here's something in one respect, very minute, a cloak. And yet, it is inserted into this letter to Timothy. It's an essential, something that Paul really needed. What does that say about the little things? And the fact that God is mindful of every circumstance that we face in life. I mentioned just a moment ago the fact that maybe we fail to humanize the people that we read about in Scripture. As I think about the hardships and difficulties that Paul faced in his ministry, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he talked about how he had lived in hunger and want, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Paul here, desirous of this cloak, no doubt foreseeing cold days ahead. Over in chapter 12, verse 15, Paul would write to the church at Corinth. And he would say, I am willing to spend and be spent for your souls. Don't you think the apostle Paul was willing to lay it all on the line for the cause of Christ? Here he is, a prisoner. Why? His faith in the Lord, his service for the kingdom. And yet he would tell Timothy, the word of God's not bound. As I think about the needs and wants of the Apostle Paul, I'm reminded of, reminded of the fact that whatever need or want we have in this life, and I'm really thinking about those necessities of life, those things do not escape the all-seeing eye of Almighty God. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus said, a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without our Heavenly Father knowing about that? Don't you think that when the Apostle Paul Spent time in that Roman prison cell. Cold, maybe hungry, thirsty, adverse conditions. Don't you know God was very mindful of where he was? That God understood his plight. 
There's a third thing I want you to see in our study. And that is Paul wanted, he needed, what I call the scriptures. Specifically, he talks about the parchments. Look at verse 13 again. He said, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come. And then he says, and the books. Especially the parchments. A lot of questions as to specifically what did Paul mean when he refers to the books and the parchments. I'm not sure that they're not one and the same. In the original, the terms are different, but they very well may refer to the same thing. The books could have signified a single Old Testament book. For example, you remember in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus went into the synagogue in Nazareth? And the Bible says that a book was handed to him, and he opened that book, and that book was Isaiah the prophet. So the books here could have signified a single book in, in the Old Testament. In Hebrews chapter 10 at verse 7, the writer quotes the psalmist in Psalm 40. He said, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. I come to do your will, O God. The book there, referenced by the psalmist, in all probability, had reference to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. But nonetheless, the idea, it being the Word of God. Then there are some that would say that the books may have referenced classical writings or some type of literary or legal document. And then there was the request for the parchments, Parchments, of course, in the original are dress skins. That is, they were the skins of goats and sheep that having been processed were suitable for riding upon. It seems to me that what Paul is saying is, bring me God's word, the Old Testament scriptures. Whether it be the books he's talking about, or whether it be the parchments. In my mind, I think what Paul is saying is, when you come, bring me a copy. Bring me God's holy word. Think for just a moment. Paul is confined to a Roman prison. Bodily, he's not able to go anywhere or go where he pleases. But his mind has not been taken prisoner, has it? And so Paul is thinking about the opportunity that would be afforded him of opening the scriptures, reflecting upon God's holy word, remembering what God had said in olden days. As Paul neared the end of life here upon this earth. Don't you think he thought about passages like Psalm 23, verse 4, where the psalmist said, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Or I think about the writings 
the writings of the psalmist, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Again, the psalmist, David, this I know God is for me. Or the writings of Job, if a man live, will he, if a man die rather, will he live again? I know that my Redeemer lives. You and I, we ought to, we ought to be inspired by the life of Paul. Because it says that even as we grow older and as we come to the end of the road here upon this earth, God's word ought to become sweeter to us. I was talking to Billy the other day on the telephone. And we were talking about visiting people in the hospital. And during the course of our conversation, I think he asked me, how many times when you visit someone in the hospital do they ask you to pray on their behalf? Just about, just about everyone wants you to pray for them. But he said, how many people ask you to read from God's word? I can't think of anybody. I know one lady that I visited recently, the friend or family member of the Browns, who wanted someone to sit in her room and read God's word. I want to ask you this question. When you come to the end of your life here on this earth, of all the books that you may have in your home, what book would you rather have opened? Years ago when Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis died, I thought it interesting that those who reported her death said that she was surrounded not just by family but by the books that she loved. I've got a lot of books but every book in my library can go. There's not a book that I need that compares to this book. Remember the story of Gus Nichols as he approached the end of his life here on earth? As he lay in bed, he asked a son and friend to read to him one more time every verse in the Bible that they could think of that related to heaven. I don't doubt Brother Gus Nichols could have quoted every verse in the Bible related to heaven but he wanted to hear about heaven this book right here I would liken it to a map if you will follow your map or your GPS when you're traveling you will get to your destination if you follow this map and you live according to its precepts, you'll get to your desired destination. And where is that destination? It's heaven. Do I have the right and the privilege to pray to God? Yes, I do. Why is that? Because I'm a child of God. Peter said the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. The Hebrew writer said that we ought to draw boldly under the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm thankful 
that we have the opportunity to bow in prayer, individually and collectively, to a gracious God in heaven who will hear and honor our prayers. And while it's comforting to know that as we come to the close of this life, we can pray. I told you the story back in September. When Sister Moselle Payne died, Brother George and I were at the foot of her bed. At least three times, if I recall correctly, she asked us to pray for her. That's a tremendous privilege. And we ought to want to pray as we come to the end of life. And I'm sure Paul prayed in prison. But think about this. Don't you want to hear from God before you step out into eternity? You ever been to, you ever been to the Hadean realm? You ever stepped outside this body? Never done that. Are there fears or phobias? For some, yes. But Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Paul anticipated that crown of life. And I have no doubt that the Apostle Paul believed in the power of prayer. It's evident by his writings. But he believed in the power of God's word. And so there were some things that Paul wanted and there were some things that Paul needed. I think he wanted some saints to be with him. I think he needed some saints to be with him. I think he wanted that shawl or poncho. I think, he, I think he needed it. And I think, I think Paul wanted the scriptures and he needed the scriptures to be reminded, to be refreshed, to be challenged. I want to close tonight by saying this. There are intrinsic needs common to all people. One commonality that we have, we're all sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Thus we all have the same need, the blood of Jesus. And the only way that we can contact that blood is by obeying the gospel. Paul, in recounting his conversion, said that he was instructed by Ananias to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Have you been baptized into Christ? If not, you need to do that. Maybe you want to do it, but for whatever reason, you haven't done it. I want to encourage you to do it tonight. Believing Jesus to be the Son of God, repenting of your sins, confessing his name, when you're baptized into Christ, God will add you to his church. It may be that you're here tonight, you're not faithful to the cause. Why not come home? Why not come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon? James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. 
You can leave here tonight back in fellowship with Almighty God. You can leave here tonight knowing that you're heaven bound. So I want to encourage you tonight, whatever need you may have, to come as we stand and sing.